Not every airline allows you the flexibility to book now and pay later. Book your flights, accommodation or package today and pay in four easy instalments with Afterpay at Webjet. To get Victorians back to work and grow the economy, Jobs Victoria is backing small businesses and job seekers. There are free services to help employers find and hire staff, including up to $20,000 wage subsidies. And for job seekers, there's free support to connect you to jobs, training and careers counselling. So if you're looking for work or workers, Jobs Victoria is ready to back you. Find out more at jobs.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. Millions of despairing men, women and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, There is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone to Garden of Doom. And this week we are going to be talking about dragons. That's right. Those big lizards, reptiles that fly and breathe fire and occupy different parts of our psyche and our consciousness. Uh, and play different roles in different parts of the world, whether it's St. George slaying the dragon in, in Britain as a metaphor, or maybe not, or in Asia where it's semi-divine. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of things. And my guest this week is Dominique Braggs. And how are you doing, Dominique? And please introduce yourself to the, the millions and millions of Garden of Doomers. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Dominique Braggs. I am an attorney, but don't let that stop you from enjoying this program. I am also a 1994 graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point. Who are? Uh, with Courage Be So Hard. So, hello to everyone. Shout out. That's great. Um, h- how many people have you killed? Well, first of all, if I answer that, I'm going to have to add you to the list. 
That's fine. I accept. But I twenty seven different ways to kill someone with my bare hands. That's so excellent. Gonna... Yeah, I, I should have limited to just bare hands. Um, <laughs> okay, I could tell the first time I met you that there was obviously a large body count just just from physical contact. So yeah. So th- this is great. So Dominique, um, in addition to being a lawyer and a West Point grad, is a dragonophile. Uh, I think I just made that word up. And like- dracophile is probably what it really is. Um, but that's, I guess, combining Latin and Greek. But others have done that, right? I mean, I can't be the first. And if I am, dra- dracophile, trademark pending, uh, <laughs> trademark asserted. Uh, and I already have one. See, this is a... United States trademark for Garden of Doom. See that? You might you might know the people who helped me get that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, tell us about when you fell in love with dragons, what you love about dragons, and then, then take us through where you want to start. Sure, absolutely. First of all, uh, I need to make sure that everyone can see my t-shirt. So. No one can see your t-shirt. This is an audio podcast. So you can well, read your you can tell them what it says, you can describe it. <laughs> Well, my t-shirt just says, I'm here because I was told there would be dragons. Right. Half the time when I show up in some place, it's because I've been told there would be dragons. You know, we, so, we should, you know, we're both lawyers, so we should put, you reminded me, we should put the caveat and the disclaimer to the audience, hic sunt draconis, here there be dragons, and traveler beware, there are yeah. monsters beyond. Here there be dragons, so beware. If you're worried, if you're scared of dragons, just tune out. You know, skip this episode. But if you're brave, if if you're not a little wussy wussy, if you're not a little little mouse person, then then you won't be afraid of dragons, and you'll continue. So I'm I'm sorry. I just you know, it's my show. I can interject when I want. It's no just... problem. Yeah, you can do what you want to do. Yeah. There. yeah. So um, I actually became a fan of dragons. I would say probably about seven eight years ago. I joined a sci-fi book club um, in Springfield, Virginia, and unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we haven't been able to meet in person in a while, but um, that we would normally read one sci-fi book and one fantasy book during the month, and then we'd meet and discuss those books, and uh, through through expanding my reading uh, in the fantasy genre, I realized I really, really like dragons. Yep. Um, there's just something about them. Now, granted, when our group would meet, if we were discussing a book that included a dragon in some form, uh, literally, as soon as we would open the meeting, they would turn and look at me and say, okay, now where are your thoughts? And I would normally say, this poor, misunderstood dragon who is just minding his own business. These people are coming. They're trying to kill him. They're calling him mm-hmm. quest. They're in my mind, they're, they're just misunderstood. I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, dragons are millennia old. And so, yeah, they might be scary to humans and their livestock, but they were here first. They are the indigenous creatures of the earth. They are the titans of old or one of the titans of old. And they only wake up every now and then. And so, yeah, it seems like you, they're trespassing upon your lifestyle. And yeah, maybe they are, but you trespass upon theirs, probably your ancestors and their ancestors did as well. They didn't, maybe they didn't realize it, maybe they did. But yeah, like, so as a child, I'm a little bit older than you, maybe a lot, I'm not sure, and I won't ask. Um, That's very good of you to say that. I appreciate it. 
Well, you said you're a 1994 graduate of, of West Point, and I, I'm a 1990 graduate of Emory. Uh, so, I mean, I'm probably four years well, older than you. What's in that? my mind, I'm only 22. Oh. Of course, my 26-year-old daughter always asked me to stop saying that because, well, because. Well, then, but I think it's parents' prerogative to always embarrass their children. Well, General Braggs, I think that's more of a her problem than a your problem. By the way, what what what, what was your final rank? <laughs> I was a problem child. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> oh, I see. So, <laughs> major busted down to corporal. Got it. Okay. So, so. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> not, not so far. Wow. Okay. Um, it's funny because I, I have a I have an episode of Garden Views with. Uh, I had a guest who he, he's a lawyer also, and and he um, su- uh, him and, and a and a older attorney that you know when he was well they were both younger than anyway they they basically wrote the book they invented it they actually had federal and state laws changed during the course of this epic event, adventure which sort of fits into our story about suing state sponsors of terrorism so now all sorts of big shot firms have done it they but they, they've done all the work literally they got a senator to to lead a federal law change. They got a state senator to lead a state law change in New York. And they, had to, they went up to the Supreme Court, everything. Anyway, the point of this is that he, his story is great because he goes, yeah, so I, w- I went to college in Jacksonville and I got kicked out for drunken fighting. And then they let me back in and I got kicked out for drunken fighting. And he just tells it like that. And it's just great. I mean, it's like right then I'm just like, I love this guy. Anyway. So folks look for that show, uh, but on Epic Adventures. So being, I think when I started this little meandering, which again is, is my specialty, um, I was saying I'm a little bit older and I'm not sure if this is my first uh, exposure to a dragon, but a way it, it could have been. And that was Puff, the magic dragon, which of course is really not a dragon at all. I mean, it's a sort of a, a guy in a, in a suit with like a, a mushroom head. And it was, you know, someone stoner, you know, Dream. I mean, there had to have been dragons in, in some stories that someone read in, in fairy tales or, or, or something. That, but I, I mean, I remember my grandparents took me to the live Puff the Magic Dragon show at the Felt Forum, which is one of the lesser, the smaller theaters in the Madison Square Garden complex. Uh, so okay. is, is Puff the Magic Dragon your first exposure? Or, I mean, you, you like me are too old for Dragon Tales to be part of your youth, but Dragon Tales was part of my kid's youth. And I pretty much can still sing the song. I won't, but I can. Um, you know, I had not thought about Puck in a long time until you mentioned it. But I do recall, I think there was an animated series or there was. Um, an animated show. There was. Because I remember singing that song. So I didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but mm-hmm. I do Nobody knew exactly what it was. There was, there was like a, there was like an owl guy in a treehouse. There were like little soldiers. There was uh, like Peter Piper with, or he was checking, looking for his magic flute. I mean, everything talked. It, it was just a, well, a mushroom induced, you know, ayahuasca dream or something. It was, uh, it, it was amazing. I, I looked for deeper meaning in some of those shows. Uh, and I sort of gave up halfway through reviewing Land of the Lost because I, I really thought there'd be clues there, like there'd be symbolism that an adult would pick up that a kid wouldn't. Nah, it, it was just they threw together a bunch of shit. Um, so, <laughs> So there was Puff, um, and then, I, I mean, again, there had to be others, but the next one I remember is, is from um, The Hobbit. 
uh, I think Smog. I think his name is Smog. Smog, yes. Yes. And he's like Um, your stereotypical dragon living in a mountain, you know, underneath or guarding hordes of treasure. And completely misunderstood. He he was just guarding his home. Mm -hmm. That's all. He, you know, he wasn't out there trying to hurt anyone. You know, he wasn't going after anyone. He was a homebot. He's like, I just want to be at home and be left alone. Right. He he was he was doing the quarantine before it was cool. And listen, we think he's hoarding all the treasure, but we have no idea what prices are in Dragon World. When you go to Dragon Market, their inflation could be crazy. I mean, all that he had there, but that might have just gotten him some eggs and milk. We we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Gold could have been the poor man's exchange in Dragon World, just because we value it and the Anunnaki value it doesn't mean dragons value it the same. Right? That's true. Yeah. I agree, 100%. Um, a little aside for those kids who, who know Dragon Tales or who people of my age and their kids made them know Dragon Tales, Wesley Yor from Land of the Lost, who was Wesley, wrote the song to Dragon Tales and actually wrote all the episodes to Dragon Tales. Yep. Yeah. Do you even know who that is, Wesley Yor? I have no idea. I'm so sorry. Do you know what? Do you remember Land of the Lost? I do. Okay, I do well, remember Land of the Lost. Well, Wesley was the older brother, but they only called him Wesley for like the first two seasons because I think they were trying to make him like a like a teen heartthrob, like a David Cassidy or Sean Cassidy or Leif Garretson or like Blake Garrett. Uh, I'm going to pretend that I do not know who any of those three guys were, even though I had their posters on my bedroom wall when I was growing up. Good, good, good spy trade. Um, all right, so. I, I seem to be hijacking things, which is, you know, sort of something I do also. But yeah, so dragons are misunderstood. So wh- wh- who was your first dragon exposure? Mine was Puffed and Smog. Uh, and the book, who was yours? Um, well, I agree with what you're saying about them. Because just based on my age, he's probably the one. Um, as I said, I didn't come into my real love of dragons until about seven or eight years ago. Of course... During that time, you know, we had the, the Game of Thrones series. Mm-hmm. And I think for those who weren't exposed um, to dragons via The Hobbit, they uh, they were probably exposed via Game of Thrones. I mean, and, uh, those were some of the most awesome episodes. Just, you know, a lot of those episodes, they might, they might drag them on every once in a while. They do something very surprising. But the dragons were really cool. Yes. And so that was like, whoa. Um, until the end. Well, <laughs> until the end. Nah, that was a bummer. Uh, what's the word I'm supposed to use? Uh, Anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, spoiler for anyone who Right, for a show that's, that stopped airing new episodes five years ago. But all right, spoiler alert. Sure. At the end, the dragons do something. Well, the dragon does something stupid. Yes. Well, and I I tend to do more reading. I was always known as a bookworm. Uh, I always had a book with me when I was growing up. And so um, I might have mentioned previously that I like reading the dragon stories, the dragon writers of Perm. Right, Anne McCafferty, right? Yes, yes. Um, the Timidier series by Naomi Novak. And I could be mispronouncing his name. I'm not sure. His name is French. I took French in college. Um, I I remember after a year of college, I'm reading, 
I'm sorry, you're a study guy. I remember exactly the two phrases. Of course, my name is Dominique, and the French instructor changed my name to Diana. So, je m'appelle Diana. I know, right? Uh, and the second phrase was, je ne comprends pas. I don't understand. I've said that at least a half a dozen times every class. So, um, I may be mispronouncing his name. We. Oui. <laughs> I have no idea, but I, I mean, listen, I'm no linguistics expert, but I'm pretty sure that Diana is Greek or or Roman, and I'm pretty sure that Dominique is French, which is French. French. <laughs> okay. So, Good teacher there. Again, this is why I struggled. Although I didn't have four years of Latin, so I thought that would give me a little bit of a, a leg up in it not. Yeah, I don't know. I, I But uh, can you chant? And, never mind. That's not important. Um, um, I I was actually taught by Beef Rock uh, Monk and at junior high and high school, and so I learned how to curse and how to pray in Latin. I I think that your entire education, up in, and including West Point, you know, I, I think maybe you just like a series of bad luck teachers. You you have a French instructor who changes your name from a French name to something non-French. You have a defrocked monk <laughs> teaching in some sort of a religious language, basically. Uh, and, and, yeah, go ahead. I also have to say, I have a soft spot for teachers. My mother was a teacher for 32 years. So I, I've met some characters, but I love them. Understood. So, okay. So, Dragons. We have we have a lot of them in the fi- in the fictional world, mostly fantasy. Uh, you know, uh, the Hobbit probably being the singular most famous, but we also have in, in historic parable. Maybe it's parable, maybe not. But you know, the the story of England is that Saint George killed the dragon. Uh, you know, some people say that the it's just an allegory for uh, the dragon being paganism and Saint George bringing Christianity, but no, I, I think that uh, George actually killed the dragon. I mean, I, I think that that is, you know, how else do you explain Stonehenge and mountains? You've got a great point there. I know. Great point. <laughs> I did learn that story properly back when I was in elementary school, and uh, I recall the story. It was wait, wait, wait. Was your was your instructor a Scottish rebel? <laughs> oh, okay. No, okay. unfortunately not. Yeah. That would fit with the pattern, or like a member of the IRA. <laughs> okay, so how did you learn the story? Well, I again, I learned the story that there was a village, there was, uh, they would have to make, I think, annual sacrifices or something, but there, there's this idea that dragons love young virgins. So they would make these sacrifices and you had the damsels in distress, you know, whoever it was that was taken up to the cave and chained outside, waiting for the dragon uh, to show up. And uh, St. George comes along on his trusty charger with his uh, enslaved the dragon and freed the damsel that's in distress. And the villagers are so thankful that they, as you said, convert to Christianity because obviously, you know, that was why St. George was able to, to slay that dragon because he was a believer. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of separate the dragon as being, you know, sort of serpentine plus, but all the horns, the fire, the, you know, the image is not 
so different than a, than a, a Baphomet or some of the you know old images of Satan or demons with reptilian wings and claws and a tail, just sort of you know all steroided up, um, you know. So there's always there's always those illusions. And interestingly, I never really considered dragons in that um, in that capacity. And I understand that um, through the ages, that was kind of how the stories developed. Um, that was how people saw dragons. Um, funny enough, my grandmother used to say, "Oh, you need to stop being heathen. Make sure you go to church." But <laughs> she didn't foresee my my love for dragons. Um, but I, there was just something about they're not good-looking creatures. You, you can say that. They're, okay. in some respects, they might be. To get Victorians back to work and grow the economy, Jobs Victoria is backing small businesses and job seekers. There are free services to help employers find and hire staff, including up to $20,000 wage subsidies. And for job seekers, there's free support to connect you to jobs, training, and careers counselling. So if you're looking for work or workers... Jobs Victoria is ready to back you. Find out more at jobs.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. Majestic mm-hmm. in some ways as far as how they're depicted, but um, for the most part, just the idea of there's this fire-breathing being that hoards um, treasures and um, despoils innocence. <laughs> Yeah. The spoils. That might have maybe the first time that its word made it into the Garden of Doom. Very good. <laughs> You're welcome. Right. We have used defenestration before. Oh wow! Okay, that's a that's a nice word. And and I've used evacuate properly though. I'm not sure anyone else caught. <laughs> okay. Um. So to your point. There is the idea, we talk about what was in our popular culture. So growing up in the 80s and 90s, the idea of St. George slaying the dragons, um, the idea of the dragon smog. And even though you don't see him, you assume that he's more of a serpentine-type creature because you don't see him um, out of his cave flying around. Right. Um, I, I might have mentioned earlier, or you might you might bring this up. I don't know, but I love dragons. I love everything about them. Um, I do not like snakes or serpents, so that's just a little bit of irony there. Because most of the dragon lore is based upon the idea of giant serpents or giant snakes, and uh, you know we as humans tend to have this. Uh, visceral reaction to the idea of the snake, you know, that mm-hmm. innate fear. Um, whether I think I read somewhere that um, about 39% of the population just has this irrational fear of snakes. We don't really know why. Um, and I am, I'm actually one of that, uh, I'm a member of that 39% of the population. I'm not a big fan of snakes, though, it's ironic being in the army. And every time we turned around, they were throwing us outside to do some things. And um, especially in New York, there were there were quite a few snakes in the area in the woods <laughs> of New York. 
snakes are in New York. I mean, they're not poisonous or big snakes. Aren't they a little more like your garter snakes and your you know small little snakes like that? Um, no. Around the uh, the woods that we were in, there were some copperheads in those woods. There were cottonmouth snakes um, in the lakes. Um, yeah. So, but my the, the way that I looked at it, my philosophy was uh, tunnel vision. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Um, and that was actually helpful when we were camping out in the woods. And, uh, you know, uh, during our summer training, we would be in these cabins in the woods. And one day I walked in and a black snake slithered out from under my bunk. Is it like a black cat that's bad luck? I, I switched to a different building. <laughs> I ended up moving to a different well, well, you know, I mean, first of all, there's a fair amount of, of poisonous snakes out there in the world. I mean, they are, you know, very foreign looking to us. Um, yes. There are the old, old myths of various different types of reptilian or, you know, serpentine, you know, gods that, you know, tinkered with humans, whether that's because of the fear of snakes that's, you know, that 39% of people have, let's just assume that they always had it, you know, going back to Sumeria, but even, even you know, um, even in some of the African tribes, their origin story has similar types of uh, stories. Uh, we have in Greek mythology, you, you had, I think it was Zeus who had to defeat Typhon, which was a, a flying snake, which is sort of getting to a dragon. I mean, of course, Thor and the Midgard serpent, which was a snake that literally encircled the world, uh, and they basically killed each other. So, um, and then of course, you know, the world's most famous snake, maybe not a snake, maybe Satan, maybe not Satan. What is Satan? Let's just forget about all of those questions, which we explore in the garden. But obviously, the 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 snake that supposedly talked Eve into partaking into the forbidden fruit, and then she. You know, said, "Hey, Adam. You know, I know it's a bad idea, but it's you know really not such a bad idea." And he's like, "All right, Eve, cool. That's like I don't really have anyone else to talk to besides you, so you know I'm not going to fight him over this." And then cast cast the out, and you know, and that led to you know you know murder and mayhem and begetting and what was the loss of paradise? Loss of paradise. You know, guarded by Eve. I'm glad that you mentioned. Uh, mythology. I actually kind of forgotten about this, so maybe this was the foundation of my love of dragons. Mm -hmm. But um, I loved, uh, and I was a voracious reader of Greek mythology. So go. I remember back the first movie that I remember seeing about this was Clash of the Titans, mm -hmm. and I loved. It. I I adored Harry Hamlin. Uh, it, so did Lisa so Rinna. Sorry about that. So did Lee, well, actually, first so did Ursula Andrus. Then so did Lisa Rinna. <laughs> yes, yes. But I, I saw that movie, and the movie honestly does not age well, but it was still enjoyable. Um, still better than the remake. <laughs> That's true. Um, I, I started reading everything that I could about Greek mythology at that point, and. Um, I went to Greek mythology, I read some Egyptian mythology, Norse mythology, so to your point, the whole idea about the serpent that's been sort of the world. Um, 
like I said, I was never a big fan of the serpents who, whether they were the sea serpents, whether they were, you know, giant serpents on land or something, serpents within mythology. I was not, you know, not a fan of those, but it probably did lay the foundation for, you know, when I started doing more reading about fantasy within the fantasy genre. And at that point, to me, I think dragons are adorable with their, you know, spine fins and their scales and, you know, whether it's jewel-toned or not, their wings. And, and of course, there's some that have wings. There are some that don't have wings. I, I tend to prefer the ones that have wings and just the idea of being able to fly. and Freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Who, absolutely. Which dragons don't have wings? Um, it tends to be uh, the ones that were in um, Chinese mythology um, or other other uh, cultures in Asia. They tended to be uh, depicted as large serpents, you know, um, with four legs but with no wings. Oh, so wings and almost like lion-like faces, right? Right, right. Um, and you would see. You didn't start seeing the dragons depicted with wings until you're looking at the Western cultures. And there was that idea of, um, yeah, winged creatures. So, but there are other, you know, I look at dragons and I'm, I'm looking at the end results, kind of the type of dragons that you see on Game of Thrones or something. Mm -hmm. But there are also, uh, the variation, the, the giant worms, the, um, the gargoyles, that whole idea this was a type of dragon set in stone. Well, gargoyle was the uh, was a sea serpent that, that terrorized, uh, I guess it was Paris. Absolutely. Yeah. And there was another saint. That, I mean, I just did a show on gar- gargoyles. I've already forgotten which saint killed. Maybe Augustus or, or Romanus, something. Some fancy name like that, you know, allegedly killed the sea serpent, and that's where the name of uh, gargoyle came from, from gargoyle, which, which gargoyle basically is the same root word as gargoyle. It just means throat. You know, garrote. You know, you you know garrotes. <laughs> Again, I was not very good at French, but I did have that Latin. That Latin but you were good at stealth murder. And well, it's not murder if it's sanctioned. Sanction. Well, okay, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come clean with you. Please. I was actually a finance officer. So oh, come on. <laughs> now, granted, West Point did teach me a lot of things, but um, I was not an outdoors person, and so when it was time to select a branch, um, you know, most of the people you would kill would also be indoors. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You're like you're like ruining my whole narrative here. All right, off of this, off of the fact that you can't kill. Great. Uh, I mean, or if you can, it's probably no better than I can kill, which uh, is one of my great failures in life is not having murdered enough. Um, so anyway, uh, and there's a long list of failures here. Let me assure you. So what I, what I'm trying to figure out is, and I'm thinking about it, and I struggle with it. What came first, the the dragons? Or the Christianity, because I think it has to be the dragons, but I don't, I don't remember too many stories specifically about, and, and I'm talking from mostly a Western viewpoint, because in Asia, the dragon, like you said, it was depicted differently. 
Um, you know, if someone gave that creature a different name or gave Western dragons a different name, you know, it, it was a whole different thing. It, it was in, in China, the dragon is divine. You see the dragon, that's good fortune. The dragon, I mean, that, that's like as close as you get to, to God and the gods. That's like your, uh, your entryway. Like, I mean, probably most people are, are familiar with it most recently from the Marvel movie. I think it's Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Um, uh, you know, but even, you know, other serpents, Quetzalcoatl was sort of like a fire bird or maybe a, or a bird serpent. It's not entirely clear. So a lot of the South American, Central American, uh, well, Quetzalcoatl was a Aztec, I think, and probably also on that Toltec, that, that whole thing. Um, but, you know, the, but the images, you know, even, you know, in, in some of those, uh, Central American and, you know, uh, Middle Eastern, Near Eastern, uh, images of, of sort of bird serpent gods, they, they look uncannily similar. So going back to the Western version of dragon, reptiles, giant, you know, devil-like monsters with, that are misunderstood with or without wings, scales, fire. Like what, what do we know what the sort of the oldest depiction of a dragon in literature is or storytelling? Cause I know a lot of things weren't written. I'm not really sure, although um, my understanding is that some of these stories were probably probably developed around uh, the fact that our ancestors found things like dinosaur bones, or when we used to have um, larger creatures, you know, that are now extinct. But if you were to see, you know, one of these huge flying dinosaurs where you found their bones, how else do you explain? You know what this creature could have looked like. Uh, there were also stories of, you know, finding whales in different places mm -hmm. who were these huge creatures in these uh, oceans. But if you imagine finding their bones on land, again, how did our ancestors kind of explain to themselves what this could be? Interesting thing about whales. Their shoulder bones development, I mean, aside from the proportions, are exactly the same as ours. But of course, the, their uh, their side, I guess I'll call them flippers, which is, I'm not even sure if that's the right term with a whale, you know, obviously spread out much larger, so could be a wing. But actually, they were also land whales, and they, they found one in the Sahara Desert of all places, uh, you know, sort of like uh, four-legged creatures. That, I mean, they would look like basically a giant hippopotamus, sort of, but... Uh, Almost like a like a or a tall crocodile, and what else might that be other than you know a, a dragon? And and I believe these whales had they had they were like more like porp you know whales and porpoises are in the same family, and I, and I think the difference in porpoises and dolphins basically is that porpoises have sharp teeth and dolphins don't, or uh, um, and uh, I think there's some other differences as well, but uh, I think that's the, the, the big one you can tell uh, is, is, the, is the teeth. So if they had sharp teeth, I imagine the bigger ones had more teeth. Um, and so maybe you think of that as a dragon. I'm not sure either. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really looked into the history. I mean, you'd think that if St. George killed the dragon, if first there was the dragon before there was the reason to slay it and make it a parable for um, Christianity. And I know I've used allegory and parable. And yes, those smart people out there, it's because I don't really know the difference between what those, exactly what those two words mean. So close enough for, you know, for government work um, or podcasting. Uh, 
So, but I, I feel like there have been dragons in lots of legends, but I'm thinking about Greek mythology and I can't really think of anything that was exactly a dragon, but they were harpies, you know, with, with, with reptile wings. Um, you know, definitely we had organs. What's that? Uh, the Gorgons, right? Uh, the the Hydra that uh, I I can't remember if it was Hercules or yeah, Hercules. Well, they're, they're the same. Hydra. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that we considered that to be a multi-headed serpent, mm-hmm. you know, a huge serpent. Um, so there are throughout our mythologies there are these depictions of creatures and what we what we consider to be dragons they tend to be four-legged that that was the thing they whether or not they had wings they had four legs you mentioned crocodiles earlier and the fact that they're at one point had been these large crocodiles that lived on land who could actually raise their torso up off the ground and that was that was how they maneuvered on land and so that has been the picture when we think about how a dragon might move on land if they don't have wings or they're not flying. It's kind of this creature who could be rather large, but typically they only have four legs. Yeah, I remember in the 80s that swords and sorcery was a big thing. I think possibly because of the success of Conan the Barbarian, and then there were some books, and there were always dragons in the, these movies. Uh, and I remember there were ones with, you know, and, and by the way, they always tried to find a guy that looked enough like Harry Hamlin to, to pass, you know, as, as the next Harry Hamlin. And then, uh, you know, and they, and they would have, you know, women in scantily clad outfits, sort of like the, uh, the the covers of the John Carter from Mars series, the old Edgar Rice Burroughs things, which people might be, they were, there were references to it in the, in the show Lovecraft Country, um, in that the, the Red Princess and a lot of that stuff was, was straight at John Carter from Mars. Um, but I, I, I swear, I just, I just can't remember where and when I, I saw my first like historic reference to a dragon, but, but, I, but there's, you're right. There's always been dragon like creatures go, going back even to like, you know, Sumerian or Babylon. There was Shaitan S H A I T A N, which is of course the English spelling of a, a Sumerian or, or Babylonian, you know, word which you know is is i I mean i'm not even sure what the language is but whatever is probably close to aramaic uh but you know something something proto-persian something something along those those lines i actually have i'm gonna have someone that's gonna do a linguistic show after we do the littlest show speaking of lilith the mother of monsters in some stories once she was rejected and cast out of, of eden the first time because apparently she was too bossy for adam um there are some stories that she basically turned into a gorgon or a harpy, grew wings, and flew off. And then I heard another story, and this is maybe nothing to do with dragons, maybe everything to do with dragons, because Lilith is said to be the, the mother of monsters, which you can extrapolate to, you know, watchers interbreeding with the daughters of Adam. You can do Anunnaki if you want. You can do the, the, the Dogon, the dolphin people, whatever you want, you can put it there. But the point is that apparently Lilith ran away and... and God, who apparently is all powerful but is sort of lazy, said sent two angels to take care of it <laughs> instead of just doing it himself or herself. I mean, they go herself. You know, God's lazy, and and it's a her. Even though I, I, I I've known very few lazy women, I know lots of lazy men. Started by myself. I was going to say I, I 
Oh, it's not a fact. It's it's fiction. It's 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 absolutely the reverse of, of most reality. Well, the idea that she's considered to be the, the mother of monsters, you know, um, there you go, taking a strong woman. And That's right. Well, and the, I'm not you, you um, yourself. But I, no, I'm just I'm just repeating right. the, the story. I mean, we I mean, the, literally the first time I heard of Lilith as a, as a character in some sort of historical theological sense was when the Lilith Fair was created, I think, in the 90s, which were all the, the female bands, and it was sort of an empowerment thing, sort of taking back Lilith. But back to our little story. So God dispatched two angels to go capture Lilith. And apparently they were flying around the world, and they couldn't quite, you know, catch up to her, but she could see them. And they're like, we're going to get you. And she's like, hey, guys, you don't really need to get me, because I like I promise I'm, I'll just go away, and no one will ever see me again, and I'll never bother anyone again. And angel's like, I mean, I don't know. They must sound like the Lenny and Squiggy or Abbott and Costello of angels. Uh, and they're like... To get Victorians back to work and grow the economy, Jobs Victoria is backing small businesses and job seekers. There are free services to help employers find and hire staff, including up to $20,000 wage subsidies. And for job seekers, there's free support to connect you to jobs, training and careers counselling. So if you're looking for work or workers... Jobs Victoria is ready to back you. Find out more at jobs.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. Yeah, okay. All this flying around is, is tiring. And, and you know, or pow- all-powerful God obviously isn't paying attention to us right now. He's, you know, creating rings of Saturn today or whatever. And they're like, all right, cool. Peace out. And they they, they gave up. And so Lilith, Lilith abounds. So maybe Lilith was our first dragon. Possibly. Quite possibly. Now, because the serpent actually came after Lilith. Now, I have read authors who posited that that Cain was actually the the child of Lilith and Adam, and actually Lilith may have been the one who was the serpent. Um, but that's all, you know. I, I have heard that story that Lilith potentially was the serpent that was in the garden. Yeah. And and this is not just people playing with fiction. I mean, maybe it is, but the Masonic legend which may or may not be actually related to Masons, Grand Masons, whatever, but it's also tied, I, I believe, to, you know, left-hand belief, which is sort of the occult, you know, sort of the more Luciferian versus regular traditional Abrahamic religions. Um, in the Masonic legend, it is that Lilith and Adam gave birth to Cain, and that from Cain came, from Cain's line came all of the people who, did cert, had certain traits, and and so they're the they're the either the special ones or they're the bad ones. I mean, it makes sense that it's, they're the bad ones, but I this is not my field exactly. I read it, I read, I, I but I forget a lot of things, um, and that's why I have experts and guests on this show to remind me and talk about those things. But so either everything bad flowed from the children of Cain, or everything like good, like you know the. If you ever listen to Song Atlantis, like the Twelve, you know the poet, the artist, the healer, you know everything useful came from Cain, and and everything sort of useless came from Abel. I don't know, but like lots of religions have like like their versions, like you know everything good came from Seth, everything bad came from Ham, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I, I I've known enough people in my life that to know that 
nothing all good or all bad comes come, come, comes from any offspring. <laughs> it's, uh, maybe then, maybe then it was different when there was a, a smaller gene pool. Maybe it's now that we, you know, we're all sort of uh, mixed bags. Um, so, oh yeah, dragons. So was, you know, could Lilith be our first dragon or, or you know, maybe not? Because that was only like, uh, if, if we're to believe the, the Jewish calendar, I was like, around 5,700 years ago, 5,800 years ago, whatever, Rosh Hashanah, whatever the date turns to, uh, the new year. And it seems to me that there were probably dragons before that too. I would, I, I would assume so. Okay. I mean, uh, personally, I am making the assumption that uh, dragons at the very least were around during the, the age of dinosaurs. That's, that's my assumption because Based on the way that we depict them, I would not be surprised if, you know, as I said, due to their size, due to the way that they're depicted, that the dragons or the dinosaurs were their ancestors, you know, and so. Um, or descendants. Or, yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 they're less ambitious children. That, that is true. That's true. It could be, or maybe the dinosaurs interbred with dinosaurs, and yeah, you mentioned you got just less effective dragons. They they lost the ability to cast fire. Only some could fly, uh, but they liked fish, and well, no one likes fish. And you know that that's the interesting thing. We're talking about Eastern versus Western depictions of dragons. Um, and going back to again the my favorite uh, stories about about the dragons. The, the Naomi Novak novels, you know, it's, they do, they're, they're looking at an alternate type of universe where what would happen if we had tame dragons and the Napoleonic Wars were fought with dragons. Um, and you, you mentioned um, South America and the types of dragons that you might see there, the, the very colorful ones. Um, I had mentioned in Chinese um, dragons have been painted as uh, celestial or, um, you know, some sort of imperial, you know, being. Uh, they tended to be more um, associated with the heavens or even had more of an affinity towards water. So you didn't tend to see Chinese dragons that were fire breathing dragons at that point. That was something that we see more of in Western cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and again, I think it's maybe the false association with you know hell, brimstone, and hellfire that 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 kind of thing. Uh, it's just the way you see it. Now, the, the firebirds are interesting because they they seem to you know exude like a, a flame like characteristic, but that's more in the flight. It's it's I, I don't think that it it's used in any sort of offensive capacity. But then again, the you know they're viewed as gods, so they didn't need to. Use, I mean, I may be wrong, but I don't believe the Quetzalcoatl or sort of the similar deities as you go further south um, had rivals. I, you know, I think that they were the gods. And it, it, I mean, I don't know enough about it to be sure, but uh, I don't think it was like the Greeks where they had to beat the Titans and the Titans had to beat the, the, the pre-Titans. You know, it's a, I'll just say it the way that's not controversial. Like Uranus was Cronus's father. And Cronus had to, you know, do something with Uranus, and then you know Zeus had to do had to kill, you know, do something with Cronus. 
Um, you know, there's like there's like generations of gods, which really doesn't sound very godlike. But even, but Norse is similar too. There there were people, there were things and creatures before the gods, and there's the the Asir, which we know from Asgard. That's your get your Odin and your Thor and whatever. But there are also the Vanir. And they're almost, I mean, and they're almost like the, the you know, the agriculture and, and medicine. and, and the, But we don't know much about them except that there was some war and they resolved it by, well, what do you do back in those days? You you marry. And they sent uh, Frigg or Freya um, to marry Odin. And that's sort of the last we hear of the Vanir. I'm not even sure if they participated in, in Ragnarok. They just sort of were there. Um, but, you know, again... You know, there's sort of generations of gods. Even in Sumerian, you have uh, you had Anu, uh, who sort of is like by depiction of, of God in the little story. Sort of like I'm all powerful, but I don't really want to bother with crap. So you, you two, Enlil and Enki, you guys deal with it. And you know, don't bother me unless something's important. The game is on. Okay, I'm up. The Jets are going to do it this year. I'm telling you, they got a new. They got this kid out of Virginia Tech, and I'm telling you. So don't bother me. The next six thousand years, um, and then. Speaking of the game, I also yeah. need to give a shout out to Coach K. Good luck on his uh, in his final season. Uh, I had an opportunity to meet him back. I think it was in nineteen ninety two, and mm-hmm. my daughter, who's also a graduate, had a chance to meet him back in I believe it was twenty eighteen. So I know that this is his last hurrah. Congratulations to him. Well, sorry, I just. That out there. So, well, it's all right. Well, depending on when this show airs, we will either know if he was successful or not. But he certainly has had a very successful career. Was that was ninety two? Was that was that the first Dream Team year? I don't remember. What I do remember is Coach Pick came up to West Point and he brought a few of his players with him. And the player that I remember, Grant Hill. Oh. He had Grant Hill with him, and uh, that was really the highlight of of the visit. <laughs> Okay, I, I I think I I think I can pick up the thread upon your laying down there. I, I think I can smell what the rock is cooking here. Um, yeah, Grant Hill was one of those players who was supposed to be one of the next great players, and he just turned out to be a pretty good player. But he had a very long career. So, uh, he did. He but did. yeah, but yes, you know, good looking, good for commercials, good for commentary. I'm sure he's leading a very healthy, happy, successful life. So good on you, Grant Hill. And hey, went to Duke. So I mean, you know, I can. Well, I went to Emory, and people would probably say that I should have turned out better. And you know what? You're all right. I should have turned out better. <laughs> well, I also have to give Grant Hill credit. I did not know him in high school, but I understand. I believe uh, I attended Yorktown High School in Arlington, Virginia. I believe he attended South Lakes. So uh, we did actually play basketball against them. Is it true and that he hated dragons, and that's why you wouldn't give him your number? <laughs> You know what? We're going to go with that. We're going to go with that. Yes. Very good. So it's funny that you brought up gargoyles because they look a little bit like one might think of a dragon or a demon, uh, but they're something different. But I mean, I think it all flows from the same school. Uh, You know, something uh, elemental granular in our makeup just to be afraid of sort of the reptilian even more so i mean i think they were more afraid of the reptilian than mammals that you know like a bear is probably much more dangerous to us or a tiger is but it's not that sort of i mean i'm sure there's this instinctive fear but it, it, 
I, I don't think it's quite endemic in our psyche as reptiles. Like, yeah, alligator. they're just so far and they're, they're, you know, like reptiles and sharks sort of have those dead eyes, you know, you can, you can anthropomorphize mammals and think that they understand you and then your friends. Maybe it's because there's actually a debate right now. And I don't know if it's a real debate or if it's just one of these things that happens, you know, every period, every so often, but whether we domesticated the wolves or the wolves sort of domesticated us by, sh- by showing us that they were useful to us. Um, because there was a period of thousands of years, maybe more, maybe more like hundreds of thousands of years where the wolves were actually more powerful. They, they actually dominated us. Um, or the, you know, and then it got to sort of like a stalemate when we got to like the stone age spear kind of, uh, situation. And maybe it was only bow and arrow where we, you know, we, you know, like I was there, um, well, you know, uh, achieved, you know, mammalian, you know, apex, uh, predatorship. So it might've been that they, uh, made themselves useful to us and, and more domesticated us. And, and from there came, you know, dogs. But, uh, well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things I wanted to mention earlier when we we're talking about how dragons are depicted, um, you mentioned reptilian. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's a primary characteristic. Also, um, being able to fly or, you know, the large birds of prey, mm-hmm. you know, uh, looking at them in that respect. But then also the feline aspect. You're, you're, you mentioned um, the Chinese dragons that, you know, might have the head of a lion or something. And that actually, when we look at it, uh, and the fact that that's how we, you know, that, that fear that we have of predatory creatures, you have a reptile, you have a large bird of prey, you have a large cat, like a lion, and we somehow mix them all together into this fantastical creature. You know, they might differ just a little bit um, between different aspects of culture, but looking at dragons, you can see, okay, yeah, there are these feline aspects. There are these, you know, aspects. It's a predator, you know, mm-hmm. and to your point, definitely an apex predator. And did we develop it because it kind of encompassed all of our fears as far as um, we might not, you know, make ever come across a tiger in the wild or something. Funny story. I have come across a bear up in New York. Um, and I have to I have to give a shout out to my classmate who saved my life uh, on a number of occasions, but he was my ranger buddy when we were out there doing summer training. And me being a girl from Arlington, Virginia, um, I, I normally only saw bears in zoos. Uh, we saw a bear cub. When we were out in the woods, and my first reaction was, "Oh my gosh, look at this cute bear cub!" His first reaction was, "Stop! We have to get out of here." Right, mama's and around. I said, Why? He said, "Because there's a cub. Mama's around here somewhere." Right, and and you're like, "Ooh, we need the poo, honey." <laughs> it was adorable. It was a, it was a little black bear, and um, listen so. To to steal something from my hero and my and what every the man someone that I should have been Jonah Goldberg, bears want to rip your faces off and eat you. Yes, yes, but this little bear was I mean it was so adorable it was it was a baby so yes still I'm still sure. wanted to rip your face off and eat you. Yes, <laughs> mama 
mama was very close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah those, those mama bears don't let their cubs stray uh, voluntarily. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be in, you know, eyesight, smell sight. She's, she's keeping an eye yeah. on them. Um, only one, well, the bear story. So good. Um, I'm, I'm glad you have this friend that, that saved your life. I mean, I wish the story was the reverse where you were the hero, but we've already established that you were basically a bad bookkeeper in the army. Okay, we got it. We, we have already established that I was the accidental soldier because uh, I knew nothing about the military. I grew up around here and I thought Army, Air Force, safe difference. And, you know, I, I get up there for training. Every time we go outside, I'm like, why are we outside again? And they said, do you know what you signed up for? Yeah, the, are you aware of what the Army does? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we make those little plastic dolls for, for boys to play with when they're young? Nope. Okay, well, that's very impressive. Um, uh, look, maybe we should back up and go back to dragons. So, listen, you, you, you uh, said your love of dragons comes mostly from uh, literature. So you named a couple of authors. So why don't you tell us a little bit about... I, I don't know that everybody listening would know who Anne McCaffrey is and the dragon riders of it. It's Pern, right? Is that, is the, yes, Pern. Yeah. Like there's like thirty of those books. Well, it's I, I believe she passed away a number of years ago, and if she has not, then I apologize. But I do know that her son and her daughter have continued on the writing the series, and so there are a number of books. I don't know if it's thirty. That sounds about right. Um, but again, an interesting story about what happens. You know, you have a society dragons are integrated within society um and so uh, again i'm a i'm a huge fan of fantasy yeah. honestly when i, when I read sci-fi books i'm normally thinking about outer space or you know robotic mechanical type things mm -hmm. and it's just then i i don't enjoy it as much but when you start talking about fantasy and winged creatures and Magical and fantastical. That's right up my opinion. Well, I think there's, a, I mean, that's sort of the between science fiction and fantasy, and and they're they're. It's not unusual for people to like one or the other, or to like both. I mean, I like both. Um, and I read a bunch of the Dragon Riders of Pern, but I probably stopped around book five or six because uh, I, you know, I don't know. You you move on to other things. You, but you um, so. Tell people a little bit about the basics, uh, the, the, you know, just the basic premise of that world. I don't remember too much about it, except that I believe that the, the hero was was female, which is at least in the beginning books. And sort of the, uh, if I remember correctly, I'm going back to, you know, 14, 15, 16, something like that, which is, you know, like 20,000 years ago. Um, but I, I think that it was sort of like a fish out of water that turned out that, that he or she was maybe royalty. And getting the dragon to accept you was sort of like the, the, the sign of your status and achievement. And you, you needed that to sort of claim your, your place in society. Your, your throw. It was almost like Arthur pulling the, the sword out of the stone, uh, her getting that dragon. I, I think that I'm remembering correctly. You are correct in that there was, you know, there was a female, there was a heroine who um, she was um, trying to protect her home, you know, she was undercover. The family had been slaughtered when she was still very young, and she was fighting against the system. And 
at the point where, you know, she had almost accomplished what she wanted to achieve as far as retaking her home, um, there's a series of events in which someone else is placed, you know, in her home upon her. She's the last of her line, and it's kind of like a royal line. Um, but she then becomes part of this search. She's taken back to potentially becoming uh, to become a dragon rider. And the dragon riders tended to be men uh, for most of the dragons, but for the queen dragons, um, they always had female riders. And so she ends up uh, becoming the rider for this queen dragon. And to make a long story short, she saved her entire world because of what she's able to do with her dragon. Um, and in these stories, the dragons are actually like alien creatures. And so um, this entire civilization is kind of alien on those planets. They come from somewhere else and they kind of developed. Uh, they developed in conjunction with the, dra- with the dragons. So you have part of society, the dragon riders, they're protectors, they're the protectors of society, kind of like the military. Mm-hmm. And then you have the civilians, the uh, the folks in the guilds. And so you had the artisans, the crafters, that sort of thing. You had the landowners whose job was to protect the, the people in their land. But um, there's a little something for everyone in that series. And so it is, I, I find it interesting. And to your point, like you said, the, the female protagonist and the fact that she's the one that ends up saving their civilization. Yeah, and that's not unusual now, but it was then. I mean, I think she started writing the books in the, probably in the 70s. Um, and by the way, folks, for me, dropping a series probably a few books in was not unusual. I mean, I think I only read three of the Dune books and then said, that's enough. And and absolutely with the, the vampire books, the uh, the books. I only read books. two of the Dune books. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, 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 I got to, I, I think I got through three and I'm so like, I'm out. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, and I loved Doom. It was great, but it was just like enough. Um, and there was another series. Too. Oh, the, the Anne Rise Vampire books. I, I, I read like three and a half of them. Just like, yeah, that, that's cool. Um, so this, this is not unusual for me when, when, you know, if there's a series of five books or six books, I will commit to the entire series, but it's something that never ends. At some point, I, I just don't need it anymore. Um, well, so. and I'll say I'm also one of those people. I like to collect books. You might see all of the books that I have in the background mm-hmm. that built the shelves. Um, but what I find is, if I find an author that I like, then I want to I want to pick up every book that they have in their series. And I'm also one that reads books. I there's I find that I'm able to find something else in the story every time. So. Um, as far as the Timmy Air series, I think I've read it four or five times, the entire series. What is the Timmy Air series? Sorry, what's that? What, what is that series? Um, the Naomi Novak Timmy Air series. There are nine, nine novels in that series. Well, tell us about that one. I don't I don't think that's as famous as the Anne McCaffrey ones. Tell us what's special I, there. Yeah, I believe that that was her first set of novels. And so, um, again, she... She has this idea of an alternate world in which the Napoleonic Wars are fought with the aid of dragons. And so you have um, the French that were on one side, and they had superior breeding programs and whatnot. And then Timmy Air was actually 
um, a young dragon whose egg was captured by uh, an English, you know, captain in the Navy. And the whole idea of what it took to become a dragon rider and how dragons imprint on, you know, the person that they really, that they wanted to be with it, that they want to be their rider. And one of the things that I love about Timmy is right out of the egg, and we learned this, that they learn languages while they're in the egg. People are talking to them, talking about them. But he comes out, the first thing that he says to, to this English captain is, why are you frowning? Why aren't you happy? <laughs> you know? And it, the captain's like, well, wait a minute, this is a sentient being. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it like that, but, and they said when he was born, he was the size of a large dog, and then just grew and grew, because basically he just left and ate <laughs> for the mm. first few weeks of his life. But um, it's his adventures being in the British military, because, you know, they had an aviation force, they had a core of dragons and dragon riders, and it was the whole idea of what would have happened if we had these wars that had dragons involved. And so Timmy-Air, spoiler alert, turns out Timmy-Air is a Chinese dragon. And so he's a little bit different. Of course, this, this captain, this English captain, really didn't know anything about dragons because he was in the Navy. He never considered that he would have to learn anything. But you had, you know, French dragons and, and what sort of dragons there are there, the South American dragons, the Chinese dragons. The, and so, like I said, this is the nine book series, and it's just his his adventures going through um, fighting military battles and meeting other dragons, and learning and growing. It's so, so interesting. What, did Novak characterize? Dragons from different regions having different characteristics, whether it was abilities, powers, personality traits. Did did she try to, yes. you know, borrow from mythology or theology? And, and if so, if you remember, what were sort of the different traits between the different dragons in, in her universe from around the world? I'm going to go with the assumption, because I don't know any better, that she probably did some research into the actual mythologies and at least had, you know, significant portions of, of borrowing from, we'll just call those, those mythos. In there. Well, as I mentioned, Tim Pierre, it turns out he's a, a Chinese dragon. Um, and so the first time he took to the water and he's swimming, and they're saying, oh, we didn't know dragons could swim. It turns out it's because they said, oh, well, the Chinese dragons have an affinity to water. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, was, that was part of it. Like a crocodile. Um, yeah. Uh, then the South American dragons tended to be smaller but more colorful. Um, it was almost like they didn't actually have feathers, but they talked about these dragons that were more um, more bird-like um, in their depictions. And so those were just a couple of things that stood out to me. Um, Did they all breathe fire? Well, they had different breeds. So some, some breathed fire, some shot acid. So there were, there were the dragons that you know, they said they don't last very long because when they get older, they lose control of their acid ducts. And so um, you had the small dragons that were like carriers. They actually use dragons for as messengers going back and forth. And so I would assume they'd be very small. poisonous. And probably the colorful ones would be very poisonous too, like in the animal kingdom. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was one of their defenses. Acid is actually more realistic than fire. I mean, first of all, it's 
all of our bodies create acid. So to, to turn, you know, to have a gland that makes it offensive, you know, physiologically probably is, is not impossible at all. I mean, we know that, that, that there's plenty of animals, including snakes, that have venom glands that, that you know, go through their teeth. Uh, so, you know, and, and that they, it can shoot out, it can be projected. Fire, I mean, listen, I'm sure something's possible, but it, but it seems like that would be pretty damaging to your own interior as well. Uh, well, you know, the interesting thing when we were talking about the Pern series, those dragons didn't actually breathe fire. They had to chew these rocks that would uh, basically upset their stomachs and <laughs> cause, <laughs> you know, the fire was the result of uh, their digestive uh, process, but they did come naturally with that. Yeah, well, okay. That, I mean, it makes a little bit more, well, it makes a lot more sense than having the fire go up your, you know, your <laughs> your digestive tubes. Um, yeah, that, that is something. Um, yeah, because uh, that's the one thing that's really never been explained. I mean, you know, one nice thing about the supernatural is you don't have to explain it. But when somebody bothers to take the time to do it, it I, I definitely appreciate that, especially if it makes even some degree of sense. So while I don't like the idea as, as vampires as sort of, you know, virals where their bodies adapt and do you know, and it's sort of like some sort of subhuman unthinking thing. I, I at least appreciate the effort to I- explain how a vampirism trait come, you know, becomes uh, stems from a human. Um, speaking of vampires and dragons, everyone's most famous vampire, or probably, is Dracula. And Dracula is, you know, Dracul. Dracula, you know, is, is the Vlad. I always pronounce it incorrectly. Forgive me. I'm not. I'm not from Wallachia, uh, and no, he wasn't from Transylvania. He was from Wallachia, which is in the brave Romani in the Carpathian Mountains. Oh God, I shouldn't do accents. Um, but Dracul is the House of the Dragon. That, that so is you know his family name, House of the Dragon. That was their banner, the dragon. So we again we have the dragon associated with the vampire, which isn't that far off from being associated with fallen angel, demon, devil. Well, it wasn't so much that he was associated with the vampire as that he was associated with a noble house. And so to that point, yeah, in Western in Western cultures, there developed this point where a dragon was seen as a fierce, ferocious creature that was, um, a, again, at the at the apex, and so he was it keeps on uh, coats of arms like royal houses. He was on the standards of fighting forces. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in that respect, it, it was not surprising that um, the dragons are associated with nobility royalty. But evil nobility and royalty. Again, misunderstood. <laughs> I'm kidding. Vlad was not misunderstood. He was, uh, yeah, he was. Well, maybe he was. I mean, if you're a vampire, you didn't choose to be a vampire necessarily. I mean, I know if you're familiar and you want to be a vampire, that may be different. But if you were Dracula and in some stories, the first vampire, I don't believe that, but I believe that Lilith was probably the first vampire, but, um, or maybe Jesus. No, no, that's, um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, hit by, 
case the lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this bald spot lightning. Um, lightning strikes. Um, so, yeah, uh, I even lost my train of thought on, on, on this whole thing. But, yeah, uh, I think we're talking about Vlad and Dracul and... Uh, oh, right. If you're the first vampire, you, you didn't choose it. I mean, this is, this is the way you survive. So... I mean, do you blame a wolf for killing a deer? No. I mean, you know, uh, we're we're food to, to the vampire. It's not that it's evil or necessarily enjoy. Even if they do, I enjoy eating a good steak. It, it doesn't it doesn't mean that I'm happy that we have to kill cows to get there. But you know that, that you know that that's how we live. We're omnivores, and you know, vegans and vegetarians out there, shut up because the whole thing is everything is spirit and everything has life. So. The chickpea and the kernel of corn and the, the, the thing of grass and the fish just has has as much life spirit as as the cow. Yes, okay, it's a free range cow. It's a free range. It's only free range cows I eat. But don't they actually say that the smell of freshly cut grass that's actually like a chemical reaction from the grass that is trying to tell their neighbors, watch out, be careful. This person is coming to slaughter us. Absolutely, it's it is absolutely the way the grass speaks. Yes. Every, we all know, I mean, everyone knows that I'm an animist and that everything has spirit in life. So we're, we're all horrible murderers or this is just the, the way, the way we live. And in the grand experiment of, of the world, we came out just a little bit too effective, but fear not. This is the garden of doom. We are going to put ourselves in extinction sooner rather than later. And don't worry in about 20 or 30 years, cholera and legionnaires disease and yellow fever and malaria will be you know, all throughout the, any coastal area in the United States, including major rivers. So, uh, and, and the world. So fear not, we're, we're, we're gone soon, but this podcast will be forever. Well, it has been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're like, yeah, end of the world. Check it. I'm peacing out on this one. All right. <laughs> Dominic, is there anything that, that you want to share, promote? Do you have any things that you do outside of your professional world? Do you want to even talk about your professional world at this point after, after your reputation being sullied as a, uh, obviously not a contract killer, not a, not a sniper first class? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and as I mentioned at the, at the very beginning, I am an attorney. I'm an estate planning attorney. And so we're talking about doom and gloom. My face could actually be in that picture. But the whole point is making sure that um, you make decisions while you can make decisions for yourself. So if you don't already have an estate plan or if you haven't already considered what do you want to have happen when the doom comes, then uh, that's what I deal with. I deal with um, individuals and families Right, people. You can't avoid death or taxes, and really, maybe not even disability. And that's what she helps you plan for. So it's not thinking about death or disability. It's thinking about the people who are not dead and disabled who have to pick up the pieces and deal with it, and maybe take care of you while you can't take care of yourself. So actually, it's a garden of hope, not a garden. It just depends on which side of the coin you look at. Let me look at doom. You you look at the sunshine. You. You look at the happy points. So you are licensed in what three states? No, I'm licensed in Virginia and the District of Columbia. Although with our team, we have uh, folks on our team that can assist people in Maryland and New York as well. Whoa! Um, Screw so, Delaware and New Jersey. 
<laughs> Losers. We're getting there. We are huh. expanding our team. We're getting there. Okay. All right. Well, New Jersey and Delaware, keep wishing. Watch out. Stuff to look forward to. North Carolina. We're working on North Carolina now. Oh, expanding northward and southward. That's very ambitious. Two-front war. <laughs> maybe maybe the... Yeah, maybe yeah, the dragon brought in the military expert, right? Right. Maybe the dragons can handle it, but Napoleon didn't handle it so well. But okay, you know, this is it's different. Bus- businesses expand, and that's a good thing. Um okay. Well that's terrific. So now if you want to find Dominique, uh where where would they find your professional profile? My professional profile is on LinkedIn, um, but I'm also a partner with Dunlap Event So um if you Look for my name. Um, that's where you'll find me. And again, I'm more than happy to to assist anyone. I I look at this as providing peace of mind. That's right. Uh, so, folks, technically my boss, but I don't think directly in my chain of command, and neither does she. So, yeah, I, I probably won't be fired or disciplined for this, but you know, who knows? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I throw caution into the wind, people. I, you know, it's, you know, I have a show called Garden of Doom. How, you think I'm worried about employment? Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Dominique. I, I, one of the, one of the things I believe is that everybody has something interesting. They have some, some passion or hobby or expertise that everyone else in their family thinks they're kooky about. I don't. Those are the things that I, I want in the show. So the person who knows everything about submarines, who wants to tell me about submarines, the person who knows everything about frigging koi fish, maybe not that one, but octopus, absolutely. Um, anyway, oh, and we have to thank our friend John Kiernan again, wrestling entrance composer, theme writer extraordinaire, and Dragon Lee, um, member of La Faction Ingobernables, uh, Dragon Lee, a uh, wrestler who you may know from Ring of Honor and among other places uh, for letting us use his song. So Dragon Lee, Dragons, and uh, oh my God, with the title song, I think it says I Walk on Fire, but whatever it is you're going to hear it, I really should get this. Okay, so I'm going to vamp a little bit while I get because I'm not going to butcher the song. They were so nice to let me use it because I don't have to. Um, Scorched Earth, that is the name of it. It's a cool song. Kiernan rocks. Dragon Lee, thank you. Dragon Lee's brother rocks. That's Roosh, not Rosh. Roosh, his father, Le Bestia, the beast. He rocks. They all rock. They all rock except for Kid Rock, who sucks. Um, even though he's a cowboy. Um, it's not a cowboy. It's from Detroit. There's no cowboys from, from Detroit. Detroit. From Detroit. Yeah. He's even less of a cowboy than Cowboy Adam Page. Ooh, sorry. Wrong show. Uh, anyway, thank you, John. Thank you, Dragon. Thank you, Dominique. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, give us five stars, share with your friends. Apple and Spotify lets you write nice things. Hope you're enjoying that we're doing the uh, combination of some more conversational shows along with sort of the historic and the, the lecture-based shows. We have an interesting variety, I think, that you can't find anywhere else other than the Garden of Doom. So once again, thanks to our guests and thanks all of you for listening. And we'll see you next week. I require
was a youngster. The fire breather was everything I have hunted. Who want this? In my water, my spirit, the harder. In my time, no matter minor appearance. You know, you feel it. I've been greater than time. Think about things in the world, thinking this flavor of mine. I got the heart of a warrior. Got my fire in my spirit. And everything in this world, you can hear it. Who can step up? Physically, I can hurt anybody in the world of the status I've been moving this world. I've been taking these pages. This is my lifestyle. Right now, I want it all. Want the championships in my world. It's time to ball for everything that you feel. It's me. I'm the one that you see. Truly one, Dragon Lee, fire breathing. To get Victorians back to work and grow the economy, Jobs Victoria is backing small businesses and job seekers. There are free services to help employers find and hire staff, including up to $20,000 wage subsidies. And for job seekers, there's free support to connect you to jobs, training and careers counselling. So if you're looking for work or workers, Jobs Victoria is ready to back you. Find out more at jobs.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.